Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sarah Kashansky, and this week we're continuing to delve into the murky world of SMB financial services. We interviewed small business owners, accountants, and experts on Fintech Insider episode 224 to reveal exactly how underserved the underserved SMB sector really is. We heard from Paul Bullpit, Oren Greenberg, and Sam Booth in the previous episode, highlighting their difficulties in opening a bank account, making and receiving payments, and in getting a loan. Yeah, so these businesses cannot trade really until they've got the, the bank account. They certainly can't collect money from their, their clients without that bank account being there. But in, like, in the starkest terms, it's restraining uh, United Kingdom's GDP, really. Would I go through that route, uh, through my banking route, if I needed finance now to, to invest or to, even if it was internally to take on new talent or whatever I wanted to do to push the business forward, would the bank be the first place I'd go? Probably not. So I think some of the complications are, you know, how easy does the bank make it? And then if a mistake happens, who's liable? And that's, I think, part of the the constraints are regulatory, not technical. That's not the tooling that's the issue. It's the liability because it's money, right? I think the best possible outcome for small businesses is that the traditional banks continue with the digital transformation they're undergoing. So long as there's no compliance reason not to, we should be able to set up a bank account same day, should be able to make it like a lending decision at least within a week maximum, should be able to enable businesses to to make payments with like a swipe right, swipe left kind of authorization. Uh, I think it could be really exciting and empowering for small businesses. In this week's episode, what we want to know is, is this going to change? How are banks going to make it better? And how quickly? Who will win the race for SMB loyalty? We spoke to some experts to try and find out. Edward Burks, Director of Banking, Fintech and Ecosystem at Xero. Nadia Hijazi, Global Head of Business Banking for Digital at HSBC. George Beavis, CEO at Tide. Megan Kaywood, Chief Platform Officer at Starling, and Paul Bulpit, Head of Accounting at Zero and founder of The Wow Company, and contributed to the first episode of this series. First up, we wanted to know, are Paul, Oren and Sam's experiences typical? Was anything they mentioned surprising? So I think that they're fairly typical, but I think that there's a lot of investment going in in terms of digitally transforming these kind of experiences for the customer. This is Nadia Hijazi, Global Head of Business Banking Digital at HSBC. So, for example, we're looking at how do we put the whole account opening process online. So at the moment, we've gone live uh, with new capability that allows the customer to go to our public website and initiate a business current account opening process. And they complete all the information online. At no point are we asking them to go into a branch or anywhere else. And what we try to do is we've tried to simplify the number of questions, I think really trying to listen to what the customers are saying, pulling information from various publicly available sources, so that they don't have to complete information that we should already have available Um, and trying to build links into credit rating agencies so that we can do on the spot verification and then if we can't do that then we sort of flip over to the selfie app where they can capture an image of themselves and their identification and really from start to finish we're looking at 10 minutes for them to complete all the details of that current account opening. I think the other thing that we heard loud and clear was 
you know, tell me if I'm eligible for a loan really up in the process. So what we've tried to do is also build in eligibility checks right into our processes so the customer can know, well, is it worth going ahead with this bank account opening process? If I'm coming for a loan, please tell me now. Don't make me wait three weeks and then tell me at the end of it that I'm not going to get a bank loan from you. So I think there's a lot more to do, but I definitely think that a lot of the digital transformations that are happening at the banks at the moment are really focusing on that particular pain point. Yeah, certainly I would second that. Chief Platform Officer at Starling. So at Starling, when we were talking with customers, we had seen that there was a massive pain point around business banking. Even when we just launched our retail account, we found that we had a lot of sole traders coming to us being like, can we just use uh, the retail account for banking? Because oftentimes the traditional offerings would solve for large corporates. Um, So then they felt a bit disenfranchised and things just like ordering a statement would be difficult. So when we looked to launch the SME account, we similarly looked to make it just as easy as the retail offering. So less than 10 minutes to open, but a huge worry for small businesses is cash flow management. So then in terms of having like a real time insight into your transactions, having that flow through as you spend, making sure to sustain some of the transparency um, around fees was equally important. So it's a free account, but we also don't have foreign exchange fees. I think it's been interesting to see a lot of the traditional offerings starting to compete in the space with digital. And like, so JP Morgan just launched Finn in the States, which is still retail, but you still see 3% fees on foreign exchange. And you still just see a lot of fees, a lot of kind of extra baggage that feels a lot like a traditional account. So even though there's some headway being made, I think on the UX side, there's still a lot of work to do from the industry as a whole in terms of what we can do for fairness and transparency, the user experience. And at Starling, we're really looking to focus on um, kind of all of those at the same time. CEO and founder of Tide. I think uh, Tide's view on this is that uh, we launched a year and a half ago with five-minute online sign-up. We still have it. Uh, It's not just five minutes to fill in the form, which I think is the difference between us and at least how some of the bigger banks are are working. Actually, most decisions are made at the end of that uh, that five minutes, and the account is immediately open with with the sort code and account code that works straight away. We sort of started the ball rolling on that, but we don't think that – just making a form available for the beginning of the relationship is really sufficient. It certainly is the table stakes for the next few years. But beyond that, uh, the rest of the customer experience uh, needs to be fully digital as well. That's something, obviously, that the challengers are able to a bit more easily than some of the bigger banks. But it'll come. It'll come to the entire sector over time. So it seems that the experiences Paul, Sam and Oren told us about are fairly typical and didn't surprise any of our panel, which is telling in and of itself. But big banks and challenges alike are waking up to the plight of SMB owners and are taking steps to try and turn this around. If it wasn't surprising to anyone, what are those next steps? Are partnerships the answer, either between banks and fintechs or banks, fintechs and other financial service providers? Yeah, 100%. So we have a very strong view at Starling that we want to take our core competency, which is the the current account functionality for SMEs. Um, But there are so many other needs that our customers have from accounting and expenses, invoicing, insurance, lending and finance. And within the SME space, what we see is that there's very varied needs among them. There's not really a good one size fits all proposition for each of these categories either. And so we very much want to have a marketplace with a whole number of providers per each category category plugged in so customers can easily find what it is that they need and what works best for them. Because we're living now in this increasingly connected age where we can do more with data and connections and APIs and the way that that's really revolutionizing a way that an accountant and an SME can connect an entire ecosystem of financial products to make things faster and more efficient and lower cost really changes the way that they can run their business. 
the benefit of a marketplace is this idea that customers have options. UK is still the fintech capital of Europe. There's lots of amazing companies that are starting up looking to solve needs using mobile and using new tech and usually doing it at a much lower cost than their competitors. And this idea that you can create a marketplace that gives them transparency over their options is hugely valuable. Rather than saying, we're going to upsell you this one loan product that will work for everyone or this one insurance product or one whatever it might be. There's so many varied needs, particularly in the SMB space, that the value in the marketplace is partially, yes, easier to access, easier to manage, but also just transparency around what those options are and not just being upsold on that one thing that your bank happens to provide. Yeah, I mean, I think that we are definitely pursuing a lot of third-party partnerships at the moment with various fintechs. We kind of probably are closer to Tide in our thinking about this. We're really looking at kind of making this whole concept of third-party partnership invisible to the customer. At the end of the day, they want just one place that they're going to go for their cash flow analysis, their data feed, the ability to send their payroll payment directly into the bank, make sure it's processed, to make sure that if they've sent an international payment, they're able to track it right the way through to the beneficiary bank. So the way that we look at it is let's pick some really good partners across the verticals. Let's create a proposition that from a customer's perspective, they're just coming into the bank to do business with us. They don't care whether we are, you know, using different providers. What they care about is that all of the, the, the activity that they do is brought together for them in one place. And that's really where we kind of think in terms of our focus around it. So we've done a lot of successful work with the data feeds across multiple accounting providers. And we've actually had huge uptake on that without any marketing, because the customers really see the value in it. And now they're knocking on the door. At the upper end of the market, middle market, we've been doing integration for years, where they can literally press a button and everything goes straight through and then back again. And we're looking to really replicate that with the right partnerships for the small business customers. Paul Bullpit, head of accounting at Zero, agrees that a one-stop shop is a good idea, but that the partnerships have to make sense. Otherwise, the user experience becomes overly and unnecessarily fragmented. 20 years ago, someone would have gone to one of the big banks and they would have provided all the services. If you go onto HSBC's website, for example, you look at all of the, the services they offer, all of the different links. And now each of those links is a, is a different fintech, right? So the invoice financing, the factoring, the loans, the insurance, and now a, a myriad of uh, different providers, which provide a load of benefit to small businesses. But actually, there's nothing quite like having a one-stop shop. So that integration piece is, is really important. It's really neat how Zero links up with payment companies like GoCardless, for example. So in my firm, the Wow Company, we've, for our, our own accounts with our own customers, everyone's on GoCardless. And that's how we, it's just like a revelation how we, like, how we're able to collect money. It's, it's easy for us and easy for our clients. But also we recommend and implement GoCardless, uh, Stripe, for example. So the partnership piece is really difficult to make in this work. Otherwise, it's overly fragmented. So if you imagine to take the example of, of 20 years ago, you'd be able to go to one place, have, have one relationship, and in theory, manage that. Whereas now as a business owner, you might need to have 20 relationships. And that's obviously not always feasible. So partnerships are a step in the right direction, if they're done well. With partnerships and strategies taking slightly different approaches, as we've heard, in order to change SMB's negative experiences in the future, how important is it to get to market quickly? 
agile and agility are such industry buzzwords, particularly for fintechs. But how much impact does this have on FS providers and ultimately on SMB customers on the receiving end of this innovation? Jump in there. So my background is um, I worked at Intuit initially, which makes QuickBooks, which um, had very much this philosophy of speedboats versus battleships, this idea that tech startups, the challengers, even in the accounting space, can move more quickly because they have new technology, smaller cultures, et cetera, et cetera. But they were the battleship. They had lots of customers. They had the fact that customers typically didn't switch, so customer inertia playing on their side. But what was fascinating is so Zero, the speedboat, comes along being incredibly agile. They launched in New Zealand and Australia, and what they found is that their incumbents in those areas, like MYOB and uh, New Zealand, Australia, were asleep at the wheel. They didn't actually fully get digital. And so it was very easy for Zero to come in and start just dominating those markets. So Zero is at its core an accounting provider. This is Edward Burks, Director of Banking, Fintech and Ecosystem at Zero. And I'm, I'm around the table with uh, three organisations that are regulated. And, and, and we've had a great advantage of being free of regulation, uh, which is, is one of the reasons actually also that we can move more quickly. And it's kind of interesting as we see new fintech startups. My, my sense is the uh, standards to which either fintechs are holding themselves or are being held kind of varies between some of the smaller players and the big banks. So in terms of the fintechs being able, or challenger banks being able to compete with the larger financial organizations. What we heard in part one was business owners saying, like, actually, the issue here is speed. It's not so much price, and almost price can become irrelevant if it's going to take you like a month and a half, two, three months to make a lending decision. So actually, what's what's valued much more over price for someone that's got a cash flow problem, for example, is actually speed of decision. And that's definitely where we're seeing the, the fintechs competing. So from a business's point of view, it almost doesn't matter. Obviously, in the background, it matters because are the big banks too slow and not able to, to get there? But actually, what, what we're seeing is from a, a small business owner's perspective, is that the, the difficult bit was what the challenges did initially just to get to market. And actually, uh, what we're seeing with so several of the big banks is they are innovating at, at a pace. And you, you have to imagine that over time, they're going to have much bigger budgets with which to go at this. So, so b being nimble is reasonably important in as much as being able to serve the customer's needs. So at like any organization, but especially banks and the fintechs, need to be able to, to adapt and, and yeah, be, be nimble and agile in a way that they can, can meet customer needs. To Paul's point, if we're looking at the benefit to SMB customers, it doesn't actually matter whether you're agile or just fast. Whether it's a challenger or a big bank who gets there first, as long as projects get to market quickly and SMB experiences improve. Which brings us to our next point, the actual user experience itself. Partnerships and speed to market are no good if the product itself is under par and doesn't solve SMB's needs. Good, clean, functional, user-friendly UX is super important. The, the big opportunity here is that for the first time in generations, potentially first time ever, small businesses have way more choice than they've ever had when it comes to banking. Uh, and that competition can only be a good thing to try and drive and encourage the, the big banks to to get their game together. I suppose the bit that concerns me a bit for the challenges is I don't see any functionality in terms of user experience that can't be relatively easily replicated by the big banks when they when they get their act together. I think that surprised me 
little bit is the extent to which we don't have to react very much to changes in what customers want because the truth is that you know we're not doing photo sharing apps here we're answering a need which is pretty much unchanging we're in an interesting moment in history where essentially the experience of banking was roughly the same for the last 10 years it was pretty rubbish um, it's getting fixed in the current five years and after that I suspect it's going to stay fixed for the next 20 years um, and uh, it's not the case that during those five years in, in year two you see radically different customer needs than what you saw in, in year one or year zero. Um, so uh, staying true to those customer needs is key. It is also the case that when you're innovating, you regularly find you have to iterate key stuff because you didn't do it perfectly the first time. So, you know, we're on release 46 of our onboarding process, I think, right now. And, and it's so core cool that we, we keep having to do that. Customer-led innovation is key. And as George points out, customer needs have not changed on a basic level too much. SMBs have always needed to open a bank account, get access to credit, and to make and receive payments. Their needs just haven't dramatically changed. Keeping your UX and product development customer-centric is therefore crucial, and iteration is the only way to test its working in the best possible way, to allow you to make changes and improvements and get to market faster. Yeah, so I would agree. I mean, I think that from a know your customer perspective, the the needs are the same. They don't want to be entering the same information again and again. And they are looking for you to pull as much of that information as you can from public sources and make it easy for them. I think we we have a survey embedded into our account opening process pretty much on every page so that we ask them, how was this? How are you finding it? And we're using that in exactly the same way as Ty to really feed into the next phase and the next iteration. So I think it's always going to be an iterative journey I don't ever see that we'll ever reach the end it's sort of like you're always going to be chasing that perfect experience while UX is obviously important to the providers how important is it to an SMB how much does user experience really make a difference to an SMB when deciding who they choose to bank with we put this question to Paul as an SMB owner himself for his thoughts and so I think there are some parts of the user experience that are a novelty as, as much as anything and maybe aren't actually critical to the, the customer experience. The, the bit that maybe we should be looking at is actually the customer experience and the support. The customer support uh, for the small business owner has been so, so poor. And in part one, that's kind of what we heard was business owners talking about their, their banks not understanding them, uh, not being there for them when they needed them. And uh, actually beyond the like the user experience it's actually the customer experience that where the big opportunity is i think people will get over a shiny app but the customer experience is the real battleground if customer experience and support is the real battleground as paul suggests the questions arose as to who those customers actually are and are our panelists as representatives of both big banks and fintechs actually going after the same people the smb market is huge with an SMB being defined as any business of any size from freelancers to companies of up to 100 or 250 people and under £100 million in turnover. And the definitions are incredibly fluid. There is no single definition that everyone is working from. Are there different ways of targeting different SMBs, depending on their industry turnover and or size? And how much do banks have to know about this before they start going after them? The one caveat I put to that is that everyone looking at this has to understand the dynamics of the small business market in that lots of people have different definitions of what a small business means. So some people think of small business and they think of a plumber or a florist working on their own. Other people think of a small business as anyone with less than £100 million turnover. 
which is quite a, a broad thing. And actually, within that spectrum, different people have have different needs. And actually, it, sometimes it's quite easy. What we've seen is some of the challenger banks come to market with a business app that's really just designed for like a one man or one woman band. And actually, the rump of the market that actually needs the help is people with five to 50 staff. So the, the caveat I put is to anyone listening to this is really just to think about the, the difference. Not all small businesses are the same, I suppose. So we do small businesses, but we typically think more of the style of like one, 250, like more of the zero kind of style. But it is a very varied space. So we serve limited companies, sole traders, but there's even within just that realm, there's so many different types. And so if you're serving a business here in London, it might be very different from a cafe up in Manchester and what their needs are exactly. And so what we're looking to do, back to your point on speed, I think is it's so important to be able to to deliver an offering that works across a number of needs and have the flexibility in order to make it tailored to any particular business's needs. But there's quite a large landscape for any number of players, I think, to, to be competitive in. My suspicion is actually we really are all going to be going after, roughly speaking, the same body of customers. Uh, when Tide launched, it was uh, you know the first month. We had a little shop in Old Street Underground in London, and we were very much focused on uh, tech sector, white collar, London, just because that's what we were and that's what we understood. But very, very quickly, uh, we found we were picking up customers um, across all sorts of industries, not all sizes. Still, overwhelmingly, our customer base is businesses of sort of less than 10, 10 staff. But uh, you know, we're getting more and more into multi-user access and some of the other features that uh, even medium-sized businesses need. I don't know that we'll ever get into what you might call corporate banking. I think that that is uh, more of a stretch than we need to make. But aside from that, you know, our aspirations are pretty universal, actually. Um, and I have a feeling that our major competitors will, will be the same. I actually think it's a mistake for companies too. And there are, as no doubt listeners to this podcast will know, there are some uh, companies out there uh, focusing, for example, specifically on the freelancer segment. I think it's just too hard. I think the investment we're making in marketing spreads across all segments, which makes it easier for us to win even in just the freelancer segment than the freelancer focused companies. Yeah, I mean, I think from our perspective, we've covered the full range right the way from sole trader right the way to this multi-million pound business way beyond the small business banking right into what we would call the multinational corporate. I think what's interesting about having that range is actually you, we used to see that a lot of the digital developments were driven from the top down. So this concept of a data feed is so new into small business banking and sort of so 15 years ago for corporate banking. But now what was interesting for me is as we look at the full range of our customer base, it's the small business banking needs that actually are now driving the corporates to really look differently at what they're doing. And that's what's really interesting about having such a huge range is you really start to understand the dynamics of the digital transformation and how it really is changing for these customers. And I think that is why it is actually good to operate on the range because you're learning from every different segment that you are targeting. Um, and tailoring around that and then using concepts that you've got from the others to go, okay, well, we already do payroll integration. We've done it for years for X corporate. Why don't we mimic that, but make it really simple for the smaller customers and it will still hit the same kind of sweet spots because at the end of the day, it's the same as people, individuals that are in these companies and, you know, running them. Yeah, I'll, I'll venture some numbers around the question, actually. So there are 5.7 million small businesses in the UK. 
Um, something like 4 million of those are sole traders, very, very simple micro entities. And in our experience, the uh, complexity or the sophistication of those businesses increases a lot once you get your first employee. Um, so there are something like 2.5 million businesses in the UK pay VAT. And suddenly, by the time you're worrying about stakeholder pensions and expense management, you're more likely to engage with an accountant um, once you're no longer an Uber driver or a freelancer. Um, and so actually, we think there are pretty distinct requirements between those sort of two major subsections of what people think of as, as SME. Um, very much, uh, I, I think, at the point that George began to allude to, I think, was that there will be some banks who begin to cater for the really simple accounting needs of, of those micro entities as part of a bank account proposition. I think that can make sense. Um, and then I think there will be the slightly more sophisticated businesses who do need accountants and do need um, more sophisticated financial services and bookkeeping solutions. To go back almost full circle, the final area we want to talk about today is about identity custodianship. Now, this is something that comes up on our blockchain podcast all the time, because people who have blockchain companies seems to think that they can solve everybody's identity woes. The jury is still out on that, but everyone has said on this podcast, and Paul, Sam and Oren on the last, that a lot of the problems caused are that people have to prove who they are over and over and over again. Such a good point, because this uh, identity verification challenge is see- like seemingly small and insignificant, but actually huge, because we all have to go through it and, and jump through hoops. The user experience with uh, with the fintechs tends to be a lot neater that you can take a photo of a document or use an image of your face to, to like to prove your, prove your identity. I don't know if the, the big banks have like tougher requirements um, or bigger obligations in terms of identity verification, but the, the process is, is horrendous and painful. But if you then kind of like strip that back, take a step back and think, well, actually, I turn up at the, the bank with a, a paper copy of a bill and a paper copy of a, maybe a, a bank statement, a credit card statement. Like, how does that how is that better than some like biometric identity things? I'd really like to really like to understand. Maybe they are held to different levels, but it seems like it's uh, different uh, different interpretations of the rules, or like frankly, maybe just like a, a lack of imagination when it, it comes to it. And says, "Oh well, let's just do it the way that we've always done it." Whereas the fintechs have come and looked at it afresh, uh, put their own interpretation on the on the regulations, and thought, "What's the most elegant way to?" Uh, to, to deliver this, to achieve this, and design the process accordingly. Are there any solutions available to make that easier? And as Paul suggests, why do the rules around what does and doesn't constitute identity verification seem to change from one bank or provider to another? I think to a degree, a lot of the custodianship actually still falls to the government and company's house. So for example, with um, Starling, we integrate the company's house API so we can pull in the shareholder details and a lot of that information um, to enable us to do the KYC checks. But in that way, there's still this kind of onus on the company's house to aggregate that and provide that in a secure way. I think there's definitely space. It's a huge need and a topic that comes up over and over again with KYC and AML. I think it's still a huge opportunity, but for us, that's worked quite well in the, in the near term. Yeah, I mean, I think we obviously we also use companies house. I think the whole digital identity question, you know, putting something in a central location is pretty much saying to any cyber hacker, come get me, you know. So I, I think that 
that's probably why all the time you hear about this in the blockchain stuff, because it is such a decentralized database construct. And I think if anyone is going to crack this, it's either got to be a government or it's got to be a way of capturing the identity, creating an algorithm. That algorithm potentially becomes, you know, your series of things and then getting rid of those identity documentation. And there's a lot of very clever people who are thinking about this. I think the concept of centralizing it somewhere is not ideal. You never want anything that secure, centralized into one place. Um, but I think it's definitely one that's out there to solve. And a lot of governments are trying to solve it. Blockchain looks like the most obvious platform for that solution. And then I guess the question is, uh, how do you regulate the participants? We, we've seen as a debate for quite some time whether accountants can play a more active role in that KYC process. Again, I think uh, the regulation, the, the, the framework within the UK is such that we've not seen that happening. And I think probably that KYC pro process will become effectively digital before accountants participate. But yes, I, I think blockchain would be the, uh, the obvious platform. I'm unbelievably bearish on the possibility of any of this happening at any point in the next decade or indeed possibly ever, sadly. It never does seem to get solved. I think because the um, it's it's an ecosystem problem, uh, nobody's ever big enough to um, influence the ecosystem on their own. Um, the organizations that are big enough can never agree anything with each other. Uh, so sadly, I fear nothing will ever get done. So on that positive note from George, we turn to look at the future of SMB banking more generally. What does the future look like? Based on the part one of this series, uh, you would definitely imagine that the experience can't get any worse for small businesses. The, the upside, it certainly looks, all the, all the pieces are in place for, for this to get significantly better for small businesses, which has to be good luck for the whole economy, really, doesn't it? If we have a thriving uh, small business sector that's supported and entrepreneurial, innovative, uh, with a, a, a solid banking base behind it, is, uh, is actually quite exciting. Yeah, in three words, I think I would say mobile, global, and connected. So because we see the challenger landscape heating up quite a bit, we're very much focused on the user experience, enabling things to be real-time, accounts to be very easily open at very low cost. I think that will shift the pressure on the incumbents, um, people such as HSBC, who we see are looking to do the same and in improve their user experience as well. I think similarly, when it comes to the focus of traditional institutions, because the challengers are focusing on that one to 10 space and it's growing so much, I think we'll see traditional banks also focusing there as well. I think slowly we'll see some of the larger banks starting to, to focus more on SMEs who currently are paying a lot for very little given their needs. And then being connected. So with APIs and the ecosystem, there's so much transparency around people's options now that I don't think they'll just settle for whatever their bank upsells them. I think that they know that there's multiple options. They can easily connect to them, switch to them, use them. That'll really drive uh, competition across the full ecosystem, I'd say, of financial products for small businesses. So I think I would see it completely digitized from front to back. I think it's definitely heading that way. I think that you're going to see the banks very much in partnerships with multiple providers to provide a holistic ecosystem. Open banking, and I know the progress is slow, um, is a, a really great cornerstone of uh, API-enabled services. And, and I think we'll see various service providers, banks, uh, technology companies, componentizing their services and uh, being able to surface those 
parts of the propositional functionality that make most sense. So whether for Zero that's providing cash flow data uh, as part of a bank account experience, or whether that's uh, enabling a bank payment from inside Zero, for example, I think we're already beginning to see how uh, APIs and a great legislative framework is is catalyzing uh, evolution of of great digital services. I would characterize the stage we're at right now in this evolution as being about primarily about banking that just doesn't suck as much as it did. And I really hope that in five years' time we won't still be having the same sorts of discussions, um, which are you know, definitely banking geek discussions that regular people wouldn't be terribly excited by. I think in the SME context there are several things that are genuinely interesting to people who who run SMEs like um, giving them better cash flow or reducing some of the costs that they have in running their business or the thing that Tide is focused on which is uh, eliminating the admin burden from those businesses. I think those that is the landscape of, of the future but to get there we've got to stop banking sucking first. This episode was brought to you in partnership with Zero, hosted by me, Sarah Koshansky, written by Laura Watkins, produced by Petrit Barisha and Ollie Judge, and edited by Michael Bailey and Holly Blacksill. Thanks to all our guests, Edward Burks, Paul Bullpit, Megan Kaywood, George Beavis, and Nadia Hijazi. Thanks also to Julian Moore at the team at Zero, and finally, thank you for listening. Don't forget, 11FS, the company that brings you this podcast, helps businesses large and small to do more with digital, from building banks to workshops. To find out how we can help you, visit 11fs.com or email hello at 11fs.com. Subscribe to Fintech Insider so you never miss an episode and follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram for more exclusive content. We'll have more insights for you next week. Goodbye.